The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Please be taking your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 6. And I'll say it again, I think I am able to say this to most people as they walk in with their little ones, but uh, and boy, we've got a lot of them running around here today. Uh, let the little ones be little ones. It will not bother me if you choose to stay in the service uh, with your young, young child. That's, that's fine with me. Uh, we understand that if, if they are screaming, you're the first one. The parents are the first ones to want them out of there. But, but you'll not bother me, nor I think I can speak on behalf of the church in saying, nor will you bother the congregation here. But turning our Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Um, just as a heads up to all of you, on, uh, on October, excuse me, October 11th, Sunday, October the 11th, I intend to preach a message that pertains to the things, the biblical things that God's Word has given us much on uh, in relation to the coming election that we have this year. So I certainly hope that you would make it a point to be in attendance on October Sunday, October the 11th. But today, we'll be in Romans 6 to preach a simple message titled, Dead to Sin, Alive to God. And we will come back in a, in a few weeks, we'll come back and finish up the series of end times and our times that we have been in. But today we'll be in Romans chapter 6. And if you're there, I invite you to look at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For He who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him, for the death that he died, he died to sin once he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, if you believe that this is the inherent word of God, I invite you to say yes. In the mid twentieth century. There were two evangelists, one of which you know of well. It's Billy Graham. Uh, his story is common knowledge in most Christian households. He had north of 58 years of ministry. He preached 417 crusades uh, spanning the 
geographical distance of 185 different countries and territories worldwide. He reached 84 million people face-to-face with the gospel uh, through also the means of a total of 215 million by satellite feeds. He left a legacy of faith and devotion, longevity and ministry, even up until shortly before his death, he was preaching and proclaiming Christ crucified and the resurrection and life that can be found alone in Jesus Christ. There's another evangelist of that time period also that you may not know anything about. Perhaps you've never even heard anything of him. His name is Charles, or was, Charles Templeton. He actually preached alongside Billy Graham. They traveled the world together preaching, as a matter of fact. Together they were actually called the Gold Dust Twins. Uh, Between Charles Templeton, Billy Graham, and a couple others, uh, it was started the organization called Youth for Christ, which our church is well familiar with. Uh, Templeton, however, was actually considered to be more talented. That was exciting. This week we'll be ordering a guitar stand. (laughs) Charles Templeton was considered to be more talented than Billy Graham, believe it or not. He was very likable. He was a world-class communicator. He was influential. He was good-looking. Many considered him more polished than Billy Graham. He was very winsome. In 1946, the National Association of Evangelicals actually gave Charles Templeton an award titled Best Used by God. What a dumb award, like they would know. In the 1950s, however, Templeton became an agnostic. It means that he basically came out with the claim that he didn't know what he believed anymore. He rejected the gospel. He rejected Scripture, he rejected faith, he rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. He eventually became a journalist in Canada, eventually writing a book titled Farewell to God. He died in 2001 in utter disbelief. So although Billy Graham and Charles Templeton, they lived a life that was extraordinarily similar on many accounts, we know of one that He is in heaven and the other that he is in hell. You rewind history just a little bit more and you come across the story of another two evangelists, another two set of preachers. Uh, These two preachers had an utterly unique experience in that they got to witness and to minister in the exact timeline of Jesus' earthly ministry. Both were called by Jesus himself into ministry. Both answered that call and followed him. Uh, Both declared repeatedly, both of these evangelists and preachers, they declared repeatedly their faithfulness to Jesus. They were both personally taught by Jesus. In contemporary terms, we would say that they were in Jesus' small group. Both saw Jesus continually, time after time, make perfect evaluations of people's heart conditions, perfect judgments of morality, perfect teaching, and a perfect interpretation of God's Word. They saw this. Both of these preachers saw this continually. Both of these evangelists, they rebelled against Jesus willfully, rebelling against Him, and therefore moving forward the kingdom of Satan. Both recognized this sin. Of one of these preachers, Jesus said, it would have been better, it would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Mark 14, 21. Of the other preacher, He said, upon this rock I will build my church. Matthew 16, 18. 
of one of these preachers, his name is, despi- is despised. Uh, even illegal in some European countries to name your child after this evangelist. Of the other preacher, of the other evangelist, millions are named after him. His name and his legacy is loved and cherished in the church. And like Billy Graham and Charles Templeton, although they had a remarkably similar life, one we know is in hell and the other is in heaven. And I'm, of course, talking about Judas Iscariot and the Apostle Peter. And as someone whose trade and calling it is, I see that and I, have to, I deal with this eternality of the human soul. It's my calling. It's, it's what God has called me to do to deal with this. It's my trade. And I see this and I'm thinking, what happened here? What, how, do, how do two people grow up doing and knowing essentially the same things and end up, could not get more opposite than heaven and hell are? It doesn't get any more opposite than that. But, but being so similar for so long, it makes a couple things clear to me. It makes first clear that obviously salvation is not by works. Because... Templeton and Graham essentially did the same things. They preached the same crusades. They, they preached the same gospel. And as it was for Peter and Judas. And essentially, we also know that knowledge cannot save a person because they essentially knew the same things. Peter and Judas and Billy Graham and Charles Templeton, they have the same knowledge, so clearly knowledge does not save a person. So my question is, what happens here? And, and the Bible gives us this picture of wheat and tares of a farmer growing a field and and there's the good real wheat plants and there's this other plant that is not the real thing but looks very similar to it and the picture we have in scripture is that they both grow up together and at harvest time they're all harvested and then they're separated and we see that happening both with judas and peter billy graham and charles templeton we see this with believers and unbelievers today And I know, knowing that God's Word to be true and knowing what I know of the human spirit, that that this is also true for the saved and the unsaved that are present this very morning. So what's the difference? Why does this happen? How can people grow up so similarly but, but end up, couldn't get any more opposite? Why is it that young men in Licking County are growing up essentially the same way essentially growing up learning the same things and doing the same things yet there are some young men this morning that are out in the culture doing nothing but all they can to feed their own sinful flesh and yet other young men are coming to new covenant community church they're getting saved they're getting baptized and they're giving their whole life to the lord jesus christ why does that happen so before we answer that question i'd like for you to ask two other questions and i guess the question would be why why would Pastor Ben preach a message like this? Why would we take a pause from our series that we had been in to preach a message like this? And it's a twofold answer, I would say. Uh, one is because I, I genuinely care about you. When the Bible says, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith, I don't see many pastors caring about that, but that's something that I genuinely care about. It's a, something I genuinely want us to do, regardless of how difficult that is. I want us to actually examine ourselves because i do care about where you spend eternity i care about that 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 means something very deep to me and and increasingly more deep to me as i as i am in god's word more and more every day but i first care about that and secondly i i genuinely long for authentic ministry i i hate the notion that is so common in america today of this entertainment that 
The notion that you would sit here to be entertained and that I'm like a circus and a clown that you're just here to, to be entertained creating this kind of notion that's rampant in America today that people will come to churches simply with the notion of how can the church serve me? I hate those things. If there were a more appropriate, stronger word that I could use, I would, but I hate those notions. I truly want authentic ministry here at this church. I truly want this place to be a place that we come for the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Amen? That His very purpose, His very reason, His very work that He has for us, the very things that He's done for us in saving us, that, that those are the reasons we're here. And nothing else. Certainly there are benefits. Certainly there are the times when we are entertained and enjoy fellowship and potlucks. But, but the reason that we pull in this parking lot and come in here to lift our voices to our Savior is because we genuinely love the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's... Pray now that God would help us with the first question that was posed this morning. Father, I pray that you would equip us to examine ourselves. God, we can fake so much, but all things are made plain before your eyes. So let us examine ourselves in truth, let this not be a place where people are deceived. Let this be a place of authenticity. We do pray in Jesus' name. And we all say together, Amen. Romans 6 and verse 1, which we've already read. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Now most of the time, church, death is viewed in a negative kind of way. We view the death of a loved one's life in a negative way. We view the death of a relationship in a negative way. The way of life that many of us had known pre-coronavirus and pre-the year 2020 we see the death of that thing and we think of it negatively in the discomforts we've experienced this year and so on and so forth. But death, church, is sometimes a very, very good thing. It's a wonderful thing when cancer dies. It allows new and wholesome flesh to grow in its place. It's a good thing when an infection dies. It means your body has overcome the thing that had caused it the infection. It's a good thing when weeds in the flower bed die so that new, proper plants can grow in its place. It's a good thing when a harmful relationship dies so that new ones can take their place. Perhaps you've been walking through the woods and sometimes you'll notice if you've spent as much time in the woods as I have, you'll see sometimes a long, straight line of saplings. And you sometimes wonder, you'll be in a big mature forest and you'll see just these certain lines. They're not spread throughout. It's very distinct lines of these new young saplings that are growing up. And what happens is that when a very large old tree eventually dies and the wind from a storm blows it to the ground and it rots into the ground, it makes that ground very, very nutrient-dense such that it is a prime place for these new saplings to grow up. It's a good thing that the one tree died so that the rest of these could live. It's a good thing, church, that the Lord Jesus Christ died in our place so that we could live. Amen? 
That's a good thing. There is a, there is a good part of his death that we can be baptized into his death such that our old man can die with it. And, and here's a concept that used to be preached. That it was, that it's a good thing for your sinful person, the sinful side of you, for that willful rebelling against God kind of person. It used to be preached that it was a good thing for that man inside of each of us to die. So that the person of Christ inside of us could be raised to life. Just like we saw the baptism going underneath the water representing the old man dying and never to be raised to life, but the new man in Christ coming to life. It used to be preached that it was a good going under the water and the old man never coming back up again. It used to be preached that that was a good thing. It used to be preached that it was a good thing that when Noah's family had heard what God had said that rain was coming and they believed and trusted the Word of the Lord and they stood on this deck of the boat that they're building and they didn't think to themselves, well, we can still swim no matter what kind of water God brings. That, that, that was not what they thought. It, it was a good thing that something in them that moment died. Their, their confidence in themselves and their ability and their plans, those things died. And that was a good thing. It was the very thing that saved them. This is why John the Baptist says, He must increase. I must decrease. There's a side of me that must decrease. It must die. But the person of Christ in me must increase. Colossians 3 verse 9 says, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man. Everyone say, put off the old man. Ready, set, go. Put off the old man with his deeds. This used to be preached. And this is, my friends, far different than what is commonly preached today because of weak, sinful preaching. There are many who have been duped into thinking that, that, it was, that it's okay for you to kind of have your own plans and your own life and that there's nothing in you that needs to die. It's never preached that, that Noah's family had to have that moment where their confidence and their ability to swim died. That their ability and their own self died. It's never preached that, it's kind of preached this loose message of you can be a Christian, come to church, and you can live however you want. There's grace to cover whatever it is that you want to do. That's a lie. And it's not the truth. What I believe God would say to this is what He's already said to this, which we've already read this morning. Shall you continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall God give? Is that what grace is for? So that people can just you you don't need to have any part of you that that dies. You just you you keep those parts of you. They don't need to die. The homosexuality, the lust, all those things. They don't need to die. God God's grace. That is that what grace is for? God's word says certainly not. That's not what grace is for. Grace was not for Noah and his family to stand on the deck of the boat that they're building. And God's grace, if you, know, if you want to swim, that's fine. God, God's grace will come and save you. No, God's grace was that there was an opportunity for something to die so that they could live in God's plan, live in the ark that God had provided for them. That, my friends, is what grace is for. God's Word says, How shall you who died to sin live any longer in it? So how does the homosexual fornicator and pedophile live in sin? How does the abortionist, adulterer, and idolater live in sin? How does the thief, liar, and glutton live in sin? It's because they've never died to it. That piece of their life has not died. That's the dividing line that's so specific and so clear. It's why wheat and tares can grow up together. It's why Judas and Peter can grow up together. And Charles Templeton and Billy Graham. That's why, that's why people at New Covenant today will grow up together seemingly looking so much the same. But one has something in them that's dead and it's a good thing. And the other group just has something in them that's alive and that's not a good thing. 
And we see that this is made true of, of Judas in John 12.6. We know that Judas was the treasurer of the group. And the Bible says that Judas used to take money for himself out of the bag or whatever it was that he would keep the money in. There was something alive in him, and it gives us no sign that there was any kind of remorse. Not, not that him doing that would automatically damn him to hell. No, that's not the point. The point is that he had no remorse in doing that. There was something alive in his wickedness. It had not died, yet he looked very much the same as the other apostles. So the point number one that if you're taking notes this morning, you can write down. The sin-disregarding, sin-loving part of every believer is dead. The sin-disregarding, sin-loving part of every believer is dead. Now hear me clearly, I'm not saying sinless. The believer will sin, and that's what God's grace will cover you for that. But the sin-disregarding, the flippant about sin, doesn't matter what I do, God will forgive me. The I love sin, I'm going to fester in it. That part of the believer is dead. If you believe that, say yes. It is the truth of God's Word, and it is an uncommon truth in today's world. Raise your hand if you've ever been to a funeral before. As a pastor, I officiate and attend many of them. And if you've been to a funeral with an open casket, you know what happens is that the person who is deceased, their body is then taken by the mortician or the funeral director, whoever's responsibility this is, at the funeral home. And they will prepare the body, putting it in nice clothing, doing the makeup such that the person looks as though they are alive, but simply sleeping. Their goal is to make this dead body look as alive as possible just in a sleeping kind of state. But if you've just driven down the road where you've seen roadkill, or if you've grown up on a farm, or you've actually been around something that has not had makeup on it and all these things, hopefully you've never seen this with human, but with animals, and you see an animal that has been dead for a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, it's dead, and there's, there's, there's no questioning that it's dead. It's absolutely dead. It's, you can smell its deadness. You see its deadness. It's all around. It's, it, there's no distinguishing whether or not it's, it's dead or not. It is absolutely dead. So don't ever be deceived in thinking that the sin-loving part of someone stays alive when they've been baptized into the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. There's a deadness that comes about. Now, you, people can fake it. People can put makeup on the corpse and, and pretend as though they're alive. And it, the sin disregarding, sin loving part of every believer is dead. And that's a good thing. I'm calling you this morning to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're following so long, say yes. Look to verse 4. It says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly, everyone shout the word certainly, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, and that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So what's the picture here? What is God, God's word telling us? And it's pretty clear. It's that the old sinful self is crucified with Christ. And that such that our new nature can then live. Can come to life just in the same way that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's good news. Amen? 
So the homosexuals have been saying, and the pedophiles will soon be saying, this is the way I was born. Which the biblical answer is, yes. This is why you need born again. Your old nature needs to be nailed to a cross. It needs to be beaten into submission with the cat of nine tails. It needs to be crucified with Christ such that the new nature, the born again experience can come to you. Then you'll be raised to life. In the likeness of His death goes your old person and in the newness of life of the resurrection will be your new nature just as it was for the Lord Jesus Christ. So why did Jesus do this? Why is... Why is this so fine dividing line set in motion throughout the course of redemptive history for us? Look to verse 6, part B. It says that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. Before you were saved, dear child of God this morning, before you were a saved person, a redeemed vessel of God, you were, by definition in God's Word, a slave. If you are an unbeliever today and the, the sinful man inside of you that is flippant with sin, willfully in rebellion against God, if you are an unbeliever today, you are, by definition, a slave. And just like it is with child sex trafficking, which is so prevalent in our world today, that someone can be in plain sight, yet underneath this same kind of bondage. So it is with the wheat and the tares. So it is with the people of New Covenant and Community Church. So it was with Peter and Judas and Charles Templeton and Billy Graham. It, you can grow up together and it can be hidden that you're a slave. But it is indeed true, by definition, if you are in this sin, why did Jesus do this? So that the body of sin might be done away with. That we'd no longer be slaves of this kind of sin. This is what Jesus has done for us. And let us never forget that. And we have some details in Scripture about that. 2 Timothy 2, verse 26. Let's see this in clarity this morning, saints of God. It says, And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So let's call a spade a spade this morning. Someone who is a slave of sin. They're not the enemy themselves. People that would disagree with the biblical teaching of what sin is, they are not our enemy. Yes, they have a wicked agenda against the church. They're doing the bidding of the devil who hates the church, of course. We ought to expect such things. But that person, they are not the enemy. They are merely a captive of the enemy. They are a slave of sin. They might be such deceived that they don't even know it. They don't even know that they've been taken captive. They don't even know that they're a slave. But we who see God's Word and have the Holy Spirit residing inside of us to enlighten these things to us, church, let's see these things for what they really are. When you look into the mirror as a repentant believer of Christ, as a follower of Him, don't you ever forget when you look in the mirror that you used to be a captive slave and you've been freed. Amen? That's good news. Don't forget who you used to be. Let thanksgiving well up in your heart when you realize who it is that you used to be. And when you look at an unbeliever, someone hopefully that you're praying for, someone that very well may see life very differently than you, remember that they are not the enemy. They are captives of the enemy. They are a captive slave. But this is where we get to preach the Gospel to them. The good news 
This is where in Luke 4, Jesus strolls into the temple, He grabs a Bible, He turns it open to the book of Isaiah, and He reads this prophecy that He is actually fulfilling that very moment. Luke 4, 18-19, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because He has anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives. If that was you and you're free this morning, say Amen. He proclaimed liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And this is why, church, I cannot stay silent about the things that many people, many pastors, many people who are called to the authority of God's Word, they don't preach about these things anymore, but I can't be silent about the homosexual, fornicator, pedophile, blasphemer, liar, thief, and abortionist. It's because they're in the same captivity that I used to be in. And I know how Jesus is the liberty of captives is what He says He is. I must tell them about the good news of the Gospel. The good news of the freedom that can be found in Christ alone. And don't let anyone, church, don't let anyone ever tell you that loving a captive slave well involves doing nothing or saying nothing. That is not what loving them well involves. You have probably heard the illustration before, but if, if someone is drowning and you're holding the life preserver in your hands, if you don't love that person, in fact, if you hate them, you'll just set the life preserver off to the side. You won't say or do anything. If you love them, you'll cast it to them. You'll, you'll, ca you'll preach the Gospel. If you really love them, if it was your child drowning, and you throw the life preserver to them and they're so deceived, they, they've been so blinded by the water in their eyes, they've been so blinded by the devil that they don't see the salvation in front of them. And they're just wallowing in this water as they begin to sink. If it was your child and you truly love them, you truly love this person, this captive slave of the devil, and you truly love them, you won't just cast the life preserver to them. You're going to see as they're too blinded to even reach out and grab it, you're going to scream with all your might, grab a hold! Grab a hold of the Gospel. Grab a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the sinful person in you be crucified with Christ and be raised to life in His likeness. If you love someone well, if you love someone at all, that's what you'll do you'll tell them of the freedom that can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, if the sin-disregarding, sin-loving part of every believer is dead, based on the Scripture that tells us, therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, then, and here's where you can take notes if you will, the sin-repentant, sin-avoiding part of every believer is alive. The sin-repentant, Sin-avoiding part of every believer is alive. And we get this from verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly, there's that word again, everyone shout it with me, ready, set, go. Certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. And this peace that is alive in every believer it was not alive in Judas, although he faked it. It was not alive in Templeton, although he faked it. And it is not alive in some of you this morning because you are faking it. But make no mistake, creation of God. All things are made plain before His eyes. You can fool me and the people around you all day. And we will be completely deceived. But you will not deceive God Himself. It is impossible. 
The sin repentant, sin avoiding part of every believer is alive. So it is alive in you this morning, church. Is that part of you alive? When you sin, is that repentance, is that avoidance, is that part of you alive? Even a little bit. Is it alive? Because if it's not alive, then you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that part of every believer is indeed alive. Now if you would, please look to verse 8. It says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Last point. Both the death and life you need is found only in Jesus. Both the death and life that you need is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. The death that you need of your sinful person, that peace of the unbeliever that is alive, that, is, that was alive in Judas, alive in Templeton, and alive in some people present today. That peace that is alive, it cannot be put to death in prison reform, and discipline, and Eastern religions. Nothing can cause that good part of death to happen except for being in the likeness of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the only way. And the part of you that needs it raised to life, it cannot come in education. It will not come in enlightenment. It will not come in self-betterment or better government. It cannot bring you those things except to be in the likeness of His resurrection from the grave. Brian, if you would come to begin to lead us in worship again. Turn your Bibles, church, to Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. This verse tells us, Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. It says, he who finds his life will lose it. If Noah and his family would have heard the word of the Lord, but they didn't believe every piece of it, they didn't trust it, and they're standing, even if they were building the boat, and even if they're standing on this deck, and they thought that there was life to be had and their ability to swim, they would have lost it. They would have lost it, church. If you today are living in such a way that you're trusting in your finances, your ability to be a moral person, any of those things, if you, if you find your life, you're going to lose it. But what does the Word of God tell us? And he who loses his life for my sake, he who stands on the deck of the ark that they're building and says, I can't swim in this. This is not what God's grace is for, for me to be foolish and swim around on my own strength and my own ability, my own morality, my own influence. I, I can't do this. I'm going to use the grace that actually God provided and I'm going to get myself on the ark. I'm going to put myself in Christ. I'm going to, I'm going to let something in my life die so that something else can live. I'm going to be in the likeness of His crucifixion so that I can be in the likeness of His resurrection. That person, my friends finds life. Would you stand with me?
this church, my role here, God's purposes for this church is not a game. It is about life and death and where the human soul spends forever. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the way and He is not a way. He is the only way. And this is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You for the grace, God. For the grace that is Your way. Let our ability die, God. Let us be found in the likeness of Your crucifixion. Let that old man be dead, go under the water, in the grave, never to live again, God. You break the back of that man. You render him powerless. Father, I pray for the people here this morning. Let let them say goodbye to that man. Let, Let them be like Noah's family and say, I'm not going to do this on my own. This is not what God's grace is for, for me to live, however, and to fool everyone around me. It's so that I can step safely inside the ark, believing and trusting in Your plan. Father, thank You. We could have never deserved or earned this kind of grace. We love You. And we do pray in Jesus' name that this would happen for people this very day. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Let us worship as you pray and as we worship together.